Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, real quick. Uh, I don't have a lot of time here. for on a bench. Uh, I was looking at, okay, so their averages, it's 8-3 now, but they had two guys on with one out. They could have done more damage, but uh, I still think this game's over. Uh, Rosarena's obviously hitting 382 in the postseason. He's been incredible. Uh, he, like I said, he's he's not even in this conversation. He's he's the only guy that hits. Margot's hitting 256. He just had another hit. Choi's hitting 290. But uh, from what I'm seeing, he's not even playing. He, he's right. He's not even playing. He's had, um, you know, yeah. I'll get into the at bats. That's that's another thing. Wendell is hitting 225. Zanino, the catcher, 216. Kiermaier hit a home run tonight. He's hitting 194. You're hitting 194, and, and you hit a home run. Uh, that guy can't even hit 200. I won't deny he hit a home run. I won't deny he plays good in the outfield. But he cannot hit. Uh, even though he hit a home run tonight, when you're hitting 194 in the postseason, you suck. Uh, Brandon Lau, 115. 115 in the postseason. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it makes me stutter. I mean, I just absolutely stammer when I hear that. Like, I, I completely freak out because how do you hit 115? I could hit 115. And then Adamas is awful. He's a great, uh, I guess, shortstop. That's what everyone loves. He's, they're always talking. About, he's got the smile on his face. He's like the team cheerleader. Nicest kid ever. Everybody loves him. Yeah, I don't like his 132 average. The guy can't hit his, like, he couldn't hit the ocean from the beach. Every time he's up, it's an automatic out. Uh, uh, Brousseau, 222. Meadows. How about this guy, Austin Meadows? No wonder the Pirates gave up on him. He's hitting 114. That's worse than Lau. Yandy Diaz hitting 125. Renfro hitting 200. The Japanese player, Susugo, hitting 154. They won't even let him on the field. He hits so bad. He's not even allowed to touch the field. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. 
As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. So uh, someone asked on the uh, church, they said, well, if they're so bad, why'd you bet on them? And I said, I bet on the pitcher and I bet against the pitcher, right? So I bet on Glasnow and against Kershaw really was what my uh, thinking was on the uh, bet tonight. But here's the deal. I've hit 13 of the last 16 baseball playoff games documented. So you know what you can do. Think hard. Think hard of what you can do. What do you think you could do in terms of what I want you to do right now? (laughs) I'm sure you'll figure it out. So here's the deal. I don't get every game right, but I'll take 13 out of 16 every day. Thanks, ma'am. Appreciate you. Have a nice day. All right, so here's my point, Carver High. Obviously, people uh, don't understand, apparently, this this isn't about like anything other than the facts. The facts are are simple, right? Like these guys absolutely do not hit. They're hitting 209 as a team. Their opponents are hitting almost 300 against them. So we talk about their great pitching and defense, but teams are hitting 295 against them in the postseason. Explain to me, Carver High, if you even can try to explain it to me. How can a team hit 209? And have that many guys that I went through the, I mean, the litany of guys hitting in the 100s from uh, Tsugo, the Japanese player, to Diaz, Meadows, Adamas, Lau, Kiermeyer, all hitting in under 200, all of them. And then uh, the rest of them, Wendell, 225, Zunino, 216, Renfro, 200, Rousseau, 222, and he barely uh, gets at-bats, barely at all, any at-bats, Rousseau. So, because they play Lau, yeah. and Rousseau's the second the game. base. Rousseau usually pinch in. hits in, like, the sixth or seventh and then plays defense the rest of the right. game. Right. Okay, so explain to me how, in God's name, in the entire postseason, with that many at-bats and everything else and that many games, that you as a team hit 209 and opponents hit almost 300 against you, and yet you make the World Series? Well, they don't have a lot of hits, but like I said, the the couple that they've gotten are with a couple of guys on base, and they've also hit a lot of home runs. So even though those averages are low, the few hits that they have, they're making them count. You know, there's guys that have hit homers. I mean, you look at just 25 homers. They've hit a bunch of homers, and... You combined the home runs that they've hit with how good Arosa Rain has been. Because you look, he had 21 hits coming into this series. The next closest guy had 10. Um, so right. he's carried a lot of the offense as well. And their pitching and defense has been so good that when Arosa Rain hits a homer and they score a couple of runs and they get a couple of key hits after a few walks, that's usually enough for them when they win to win their games. So Arosa Rain has like tonight. Rosarena has 10 RBIs. Margot actually has 11 RBIs. Zanino, the catcher, has eight RBIs. Renfro, the right fielder, has six RBIs. Those are your like, primary at, primary RBI guys in the postseason. Look at Zanino. How many homers has Zanino got in the playoffs? Four. 
Four. He's got four homers, and how many hits does he have? Uh, out, of, out, of, out of all his hits, he probably has what? Eight hits? Seven three hits? hits. Eight hits. How is so that possible? He, no, I mean, he's got three aside from the homers. So he's got seven hits in the playoff. Four homers and, th- and three singles or something like that. Oh, so right. that's the thing. More than half of Zanino's hits have been home runs. He's made him count. So that, that's where you get into those situations. Yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, so, no, 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 no. Renfro has one home run. So he has three hits in the postseason. One home run. I'm talking about Renfro. You're talking about Zanino, right? Zanino, so yeah. Zanino has uh, eight hits yeah, and half four home, home runs half and eight RBIs. So there you go. Yeah, they make their hits go. count. They make their hits count. The few hits that they have, they are taking advantage of it. But when you give up eight runs like they have tonight, and you don't hit as well as they do, it's a recipe for disaster for them. So they're going to need to tomorrow. The Dodgers are going to throw you some kind of a bullpen situation, whether it's Gosselin and May or whoever they're going to throw out there. They're not going to have Bueller till game three. The Rays need to make their hits count while they have Snell on the mound and all their best arms rested now. They're not using any of their big guys today. No Anderson, no Castillo, none of these other guys. So they're going to have Snell and the full complement of their best arms tomorrow. Tomorrow's, yeah, a, game, tomorrow's a game, Scotty, that the Rays, if they're going to win this series, I think they got to win tomorrow. So if they, uh, do you think the Dodgers are going to start May and, uh, or do you think they're going to start Gonsolin in terms of they're going to use a, uh, opener and just use a guy for you know a couple innings. Is that their plan? Use both of them. I think that they might use both of them and just go short and then use them both again in four, and go back to Kershaw in five. Like having the days off in this series now makes it a little bit more manageable um, to do these things. Whereas in the last week when you had to play seven days in a row, it was a little bit more chaotic trying to get your pitching in order. But when you know now you're going to play tonight and you're going to play Wednesday, you're not playing on Thursday. So I, and it just gives yourself – they could do May two innings, Gosselin two innings tomorrow, things like that, because they're not using their big guys today either, right? I mean, they're not using uh, Urias. They're not using Trinan. They're not using um, any of their good guys. So they're going to have right. that in the hole tomorrow too. Do you feel like, uh, like, uh, boy, I got to tell you, the way that, uh, you know, Betts is playing, he did all these big things when he got the walk and then the two stolen bases and the go, uh, the first run of the game and all that, uh, or whatever it was. I think uh, Bellinger hit a two-run homer, right? And then he scored the third run. So all I know is uh, when that guy has a game like that, they're not losing. And they seem to be absolutely raking the ball ever since uh, game four of the NLCS. So game five, six, and seven, and game one of the World Series. So this is four straight games where they've basically torn the cover off the ball, and they've hit home runs and everything else. I mean, they look uh, like – I mean, literally, they look tonight. Like, you never know what could happen. It it could all change tomorrow. It could all change over the next – uh, you know, couple games. Next thing you know, it could be we're talking about something else entirely, and we flip the script, and and we're talking about, oh my God, what's happened to the Dodgers' bats? Like from game one when they were so hot, and then the Rays get hot. You never know. But the reality is, when you're looking at it tonight, when you are watching these two tonight, I mean, the Dodgers. It's I know it's only one game, but they look so superior to the Rays when they're batting. 
You know what I mean? When they're when they are up, every guy, almost every guy in that Dodger lineup is someone you could have a problem with getting the ball past them. Like they they just have great at bats, and every guy in the lineup hits. Every single guy, the catcher rakes, uh, Will Smith. I mean, whatever. They have all these guys that are just Taylor. All of them are are difficult to get the ball by. And I know that uh, Glasnow had whatever eight uh, Ks, whatever it was. But they still have really good at bats, even when they strike out. They're like hard to strike out. You know what I mean? They just it's either that they walk, they get on base, and you've seen everything: doubles, home runs, you name it, stolen bases. They uh, th- that lineup is so much more dangerous than the Rays. Carver Heights not even funny. Well, yeah, and that's the difference. Where you know we've been talking for weeks, and even the last two days leading up to this, uh, the payroll difference, right? Look at the, the the high profile, high money names that are on the Dodgers compared to what the Rays are going to roll out there, and they're hitting. You know, it's not too much different than what the Rays faced two weeks ago. They played the Yankees, right? Yankees have big money, you know, names up and down the lineup. But what's the difference? They didn't hit. They haven't hit in the playoffs. Right now, this Dodgers, Bellinger's locked in. Seager's locked in. Betts having an all-world night tonight. Their big money players are making it happen. And sometimes when you have that much talent, if everybody's going to hit, I don't care how great Tampa is with the charts and graphs. It's going to... It's going to overflow them, and it's and they're going to lose. So let me ask you this question. So they've been – this is three out of four years to the World Series. Do you think Betts is the difference? Because I, it I didn't matter who they put Betts on that team. Yeah, I thought, that that Betts was, I thought that getting Betts was going to be the difference for them this year. And now they got him, and look what's happening. Like, And, and they are just showing him over and over and over and over and over again because – He's uh, done so many things tonight on the base pass and at the plate and you name it. And then what he did in the NLCS with his glove was unreal. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys. And I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down and too many people fall victim to the picture perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we going to learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Carver High, you got it all figured out, don't you? (laughs) <laughs> I got a lot figured out. Believe me, I, I got plenty figured out. Uh, I know everything that's going on. All right, so let's talk about uh, Tua. So Tua, Tagovailoa obviously has been named the starter of the Finns, and the Dolphins play the Rams in two weeks. So the one thing I said today on Coast to Coast was the same thing you've kind of been talking about with me is is that uh, if you remember on the show today, I was like, his first game is going to be against Aaron Donald? 
I'm like, I'm like, what Real are you smart. doing? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what they're doing. Like, so I'm not questioning anybody's brilliance or, uh, you know, the, some NFL team making decisions, uh, the, you know, all these, I gotta be honest with you. There's a lot of hosts and shows and people that do this for a living that'll, you know, analyze every team and just, they're never wrong. And they're just so genius about these teams, like how decisions that should be made in sports. And I'm not that guy, right? I'm just, you know, I really am cool. And I'm not that guy. I'm not the dude that thinks he knows everything. Like I'm Mr. I'm, I know more sports than you. I'm not that guy, but uh, I will tell you that I questioned the move from a standpoint of just for me, like, how do you, you know what I said? I said, first of all, he's going to be running for his life against this guy, Aaron Donald, to try to kill him. Second of all, uh, my thing is you're a half game out of the lead in the division for a, you know, the, you win the division, you're a playoff team. How in God's name, when everything's going right and you're winning, what are you doing when you have something working? You never, never, ever in sports, you ever change it when it's working, right? Like it's working right now. Everything's working. They're playing great football. They look great against the Niners. They look great against the Jets. I don't care who you play when you look good and you win. That's all that matters. And then you're telling me you're going to bench this guy that's got you to this point and go with Tua. Now, I know everybody wants to see him, Carver High. I do, too. And I was excited to see him the other night play the, you know, four snaps or whatever, five snaps, whatever it was. He handed off. He threw it twice. He completed two short passes, and then it was over. The game was over. Then after the game, he sat on the field and looked around and had his moment. And then now they've named him the starter, and they have a bye this week. They play the Rams next week. You cannot tell me that you agree with – why would you stop now what you have going and you're rolling? Everything's going great, and Fitz is having a blast. He's never looked better, and he's taught this kid so much – and why can't you just wait till they're two games out of the lead and it's over and they still got six or seven games left. You let the kid play those six or seven and not let him pick up with a half game trail in the division. And then his first game is against an absolute killer. The guy's got like seven sacks. He's going after quarterbacks like they're lunch meat and they're, they're going to put this kid in there. And remember, uh, and I think he's 100 percent healthy and a fabulous athlete. Do not question his talent. I do not question his uh, potential and future, but I will say this. He broke his hip. Okay. So uh, he had massive surgery, rebuild it all. <laughs> You're going to put him out there against a guy that absolutely, I think they don't feed him. Like, I, I don't <laughs> think he's fed. He's not allowed to eat all week. And then on Sundays, uh, they put a giant like table filled with 30 steaks and 12 pizzas on it. <laughs> in an oven right near the stadium. And they say, this is all yours if you can hit the quarterback seven times. And then the guy goes out. It's like that James Harrison commercial. He ain't getting paid unless he tackles the guy. And then he tackles the guy and ruins the guy's life. That's Aaron Donald. He's Ferguson from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's rabid. He's like a, a dog with rabies, right? Carver High, explain it to me. Why would you play this kid now in that situation? Or is he going to go out and light up the Rams and then steal the NFL the rest of the season before our very eyes and, and make me look like an idiot? Yeah, I don't particularly agree with the decision, but I can give you a couple of thoughts, I think, on why they're thinking now is the time. Like right. I don't think face I don't think facing Aaron Donald is the is the best situation to do this in. But here's the few things. One, you're on the bye this week, so you you know the whole we're gonna give him two weeks 
uh, to prepare with the first whatever. team and, and give you all whatever. that stuff. I know it's whatever. I'm giving He'll you the reason. Nightmares. Whether you like them or not, these are, these are the th- probably the theories of why they're doing it now. And the second one is, Scotty, I think that Flores went into this season and he kind of looked at it as my team as a whole is going to improve. They're going to get better from last year. I have this kid. I want to play him, but I don't want to rush him. I have Fitzpatrick to start. Maybe he was waiting for a moment where he knows his team is good enough now where they can support playing a kid like Tua. Whereas the Dolphins were were not very good last year. They eventually got a little better as the year, season went on. And now this year they've won a couple games offensively and defensively. They look like a better team. Maybe he says, my team's getting better. Let me now put the kid in and see if they can become even better than that. Because Fitzpatrick's done what he's done. Uh, Tua has more talent and he's the future. So let me take this team that I think has gotten to a level where I can trust them and that the kid uh, you know, can go in there and I think he's going to be safe because the other guys are playing well. And let me see if now I can take this team to another level by putting the kid in a quarterback. That's where I think maybe they're looking at it as I know that there's only there's only such a ceiling that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. Like we know it. We've seen it for years. You know, it gets only so high and then it eventually comes crashing down. So Flores might look at it and go, my team's playing real high right now. I know Fitz can only do so much. Maybe I put the kid in and if he's as good as we all know he is right away. That team can now soar to even higher. That's where I what think is, you know. So Herbert and and uh, Burrow are playing every week, yes. and what's happening to them? They're losing, and so uh, I don't care how good Herbert's looked, uh, he always ends up losing. It's amazing. They they just destroy everybody for three quarters, and then they lose the game. Right? They're like the Falcons. You know, not as bad, but they they lose. Burrow's been hit so many times; he's going to yeah, need a therapist. His, his team out, his team flat out sucks. Do you I, think I mean, the kid will win? Garbage. You think the kid will win? Do you think he's going to win? Because I, I don't think he been, can do better than Fitzpatrick. I have been skeptical, obviously, of him this year because of the injury last year. I've been very skeptical of Tua, but you're not going to know until he gets out there. I mean, we can sit here and have him, you know, watch him with a clipboard on the side. Until he actually gets in the game, we don't know if he's fully recovered from that injury. We don't know if he has the same mobility. We don't know if he could do all the same things. So until we see him get out there, it's either going to you know look bad or he could be great like he was at Alabama. And suddenly the Dolphins become, you know, maybe a 500 team, a 7-9 team. And if he's good enough with the offensive pieces that they have, maybe the Dolphins become even better than they were with Fitzpatrick. The time's going to tell you. He's rolling the dice. There's no doubt about it because the team is coming off a couple of really good wins. But I think I see what he's trying to do. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but I see what he's trying to do. Well, fair enough. But do you think that uh, based on what you've seen in the past, when they do it like this, when something's going well and something's working and then you tinker with it, and mess with it, which is this is what they're doing. Yep. <laughs> they're they're messing with w- what's been working. Yep. Does it usually turn out well? Well, there's one case that a lot of people have brought up uh, today, which was the Giants with Eli Manning and Kurt Warner. So in Eli's rookie year, the Giants were five and four. Kurt Warner was the quarterback, and at that moment when they were five and four, Coughlin made the switch, and he put Eli in. 
and the Giants were awful the rest of the season, and Eli had to was you know a lot of growing pains. But the, they did that at a point where the team was above 500. Warner wasn't happy about it, but that's when Coughlin decided to put Eli in. He felt the team got to a point where you know it was time for Eli to play. So that's a situation where he got Eli experience or he got the young quarterback experience, but he took a team that had a winning record and they didn't win a lot of games the rest of the year. So, you know, it it is a roll of the dice. You know, it it really is. Well, uh, it sure is. But do you think that like, uh, let me ask you this question. Do you think that, because I think there might be some of this going on too, where they actually um, realize in their meetings with their, uh, you know, coaching staff and front office where they have to at least have conversations where I believe that somebody says, look, we are not going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> we are not, yeah. we are not there yet. We are, yes, you know, we are several steps away from that. That's happening. a truthful so conversation. So yeah. there's, there's at least, you know, what are they going to have? How many, you know, cause there's extra playoff teams now this year, it's going to be seven or something like that. Right. Um, so anyway, they're going to have, right. Isn't that right? There's going to be extra playoff yes, teams. There's, so, there's an extra one in each conference. This year. Okay. So there's, there's one, there's going to be seven as opposed to six. Correct. So yes. they're not going to be, uh, unless a miracle, even if they were to win the division, even if they somehow miraculously won the division and they got in the playoffs, they're still losing in the playoffs. They're not going to win. Uh, they're not even, in my opinion, they'd be lucky if they won a wild card game. They're not winning some, uh, you know, AFC title game appearance. Right. It's not happening. So I think at some point they might sit around and go, look, the best we could do is miraculously get a wild card or win the division and then go lose a playoff game and it'd be over anyway why not just play the kid and next year is what we're all about let's just let him lose let him play and then next year we'll go for it would you rather you get him in there now and if things go well he gets to play 10 nfl games no matter how they go whether they go five and five three and seven maybe if they get lucky six and four you know who knows how they go and you give him that experience now while you think that your team is on the rise so that that way, by the beginning of next year, you know that he's ready to take that take that team to the next step. And you add pieces and you do stuff like that. That's why you do it now. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, we'll talk about Kyler Murray next. Couple things I wanted to talk about uh, before we get out of here tonight was uh, one Kyler Murray and two Carver High. If you can remember uh, that the Lomachenko, uh, you know, story after the fact is is getting crazier by the minute. It's like uh, he had surgery on his shoulder, right? Uh, oh, this come is, on! Now he's had, uh, yeah, he he was injured in the fight uh, in the saying, fight though right he's not saying he was injured before the fight he's saying he was injured in the fight right in the fight so uh, what i, I, I want to hear that's why he didn't fight well i don't want to hear that well he, was hurt he had he, you know he had surgery on it in uh, 2018 so it's the same i guess unless i'm mistaken it's the same shoulder and it uh, got re-injured in the fight in like the fourth round something like that i could be wrong and they uh, and then when it was over uh, they um, he had surgery, I think Monday, I could be wrong, uh, but I know he had surgery 
I think it was yesterday, but he's, you know, now he's going to be fine, whatever they're saying. He'll be in, you know, PT, rehab, whatever. But the reality is, is that his corner and his manager, right, the the people that run his career, uh, obviously um, his manager said today that he was infuriated by uh, Judge Julie Letterman scoring the bout 119-109. Quote, does she need to be suspended for life from judging boxing matches? That's my question. End quote. This uh, Aegis Klimas said about her card, which gave Lomachenko only one round of the fight. Uh, he said that his team had objections to Letterman being selected for the fight. They asked for any judge from California where Lomachenko trains and New York where Lopez was born to be excluded from consideration to avoid regional bias. Letterman hails from New York. Uh, when made of uh, aware of those comments, Bob Bennett, the executive director of the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission defended the decision for Letterman and the other judges, uh, Tim Cheatham and Steve Weisfield, to work the fight. Um, they're there based on performance. If you look at the criteria of the different fights those judges have judged since the pandemic, you'd find that they have performed exceptionally well within the closed system of events. The fact that Julie comes from the same state as Tiafimo is not an acceptable reason to disqualify her, having no vested interest in who wins whatsoever. And then uh, top ranks Bob Arum also was vocal in his criticism of her scoring, telling the Athletic that Lopez won 7-5 is the way I scored it. I can see 8-4, but you can't score it 11 rounds to one and say you watched the fight. 9th, 10th, 11th weren't close. I would advise any fighter that I have to ask for the commission not to appoint Julie Letterman. Boy, they're just slamming her up and yeah. down. She probably had the closest card to the real thing, let's be fair. That guy was – that guy – didn't deserve to win that fight at all. I mean, yeah. at all. I agree. Yeah. I, listen, I agree that uh, the fight was not one one nineteen one ten. I, I agree with that. But look, uh, let's face facts. You know, I I, I I watch millions of fights. I go. It was one nineteen one oh nine. There was. Um, I've been to a million fights. I've seen a million fights, and I've scored a million fights. I thought that uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you could have scored uh, Lomachenko the, you know, at least the 8th, ninth, 10th, and 11th, okay? So uh, he lost the 12th, and he lost the first six, seven rounds, and that's that. It was real simple. There's no way that fight was 119-109. Absolutely no way was it 11-1, to 1. but there's no doubt in my mind, even at worst, at worst, at worst, because she's saying he won one round. And then at worst, you cannot tell me under any circumstance, at the worst, it'd be 10 and 11, he won those two. He won those two automatic. So if she says he won one round, it has to be one of those, right? Well, he right. won more than one because uh, he definitely, in my opinion, won 8, 9, 10, and 11. I thought he won four rounds of the fight, and that was that. It, this isn't complicated. But no. my point is, is that he had shoulder surgery and uh, and now um, is saying essentially that the fight, you know, the bottom line was, is that, um, you know, he felt that he couldn't fight in the fight because of the shoulder. Yeah, sure. So uh, when he arrived in the States to prepare the fight, he said in Ukraine, he felt sharp pain in his right shoulder. We took him right away to see the doctor. Six weeks before the fight, he was given an injection alerted uh, the Anti-Doping Association, and the Nevada Commission. We lost one week of training. We lost one week of sparring because the doctor forbid him to do much for a week after the injection. 
he said a few weeks later that the pain flared up during a sparring session and was given another injection. Uh, his dad said he would not withdraw from the fight and made it clear to his team that if he dropped out, he would retire. So the bottom line is, is that they are saying that he was yeah, injured. They're saying it's beforehand. The so they're doing that. They're pulling a Pacquiao. They're pulling a Pacquiao Mayweather. They're saying that he yeah. was hurt before the fight and it affected his performance. Well, then you shouldn't have fought. All right. If you go in the ring, okay. If you go in the ring and fight, that's it. There's no excuses that you couldn't get in the ring. You get hurt during the fight is one thing. If you're going into the ring, you're ready to fight. I don't want to hear about all this after the fact. Right. I had injections six weeks ago. <laughs> I did all this. I'm sorry. That dude got his ass beat. All right. I watched it. He did nothing for the, like you said, the first seven rounds, he stood there and he did nothing. And if that was because he had a shoulder problem, that's his fault. Then he should have pushed the fight back like they do all the time. They always are banging these fights and, and moving them back to other dates. He should have did that then. And it's funny you brought up the judging because I watched uh, our boy Teddy Atlas going nuts about, I guess, a judge on one of the undercard fights. Right. During the fight, they showed a picture of the judge like on the, on his phone or something, like not right. paying attention to the fight at all. And your boy Teddy was just going off about this judge like this is an embarrassment this is why everybody has a problem with the sport he's going crazy that this judge was looking at his phone instead of watching the fight he was supposed to be watching and judging it yeah i heard all about that uh judge i think it was a fight in in uh it was not on that card not on that card it was a different, it was in it was europe okay okay it was in europe somewhere in england or something it happened and uh the guy was on his phone <laughs> while he was I mean honestly like while the fight was going on and everyone just freaking out on this guy and I'm sure Teddy freaked out on him as well all right so uh I don't know much more uh, the second round is when he said it was not the fourth it was the second that he said the shoulder got injured again like that it came that it like really got bad in the second so he had a pre-existing problem double injections had to tell the doping agency well, stop the fight then should have stopped yeah. the fight should have stopped never the fight fought. after the second round and said, I can't go any longer. I'll, I'll see you in six months. All right, we'll right. do it again. We'll dance another time. That's okay. it. Should have stopped he the didn't fight. do that. He fought him, and then he never did anything from the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And then in the eighth round, he came alive. Nine, 10, 11, he won without a doubt. In my mind, he threw a lot. Of, he hurt Lopez a couple times. But in the 12th round, Lopez dominated from start to finish. That was that. Three minutes, he just beat his ass. He landed a ton of shots, jabs and, and straights and uh, overhands. Bottom line was the guy won the 12th round, the money round, game over, and it was over. And he won the fight without a doubt. But 11 to, uh, you know, 11 to 1, she's crazy. 119-109 was terrible. But the other ones were more in line with what it was. And the bottom line is there is no controversy. You can talk all you want about your bad shoulder. You can talk all you want about Julie Letterman, but the reality is you got your ass beat by a lethal, violent, talented young boxer. Tiafimo Lopez is no joke. I bet on him plus 330. All week I told you on Coast to Coast of Pro on the Bench, this guy can do it. He can beat him. He can beat anybody. He can fight anyone, and he is dangerous no matter who he fights. I think he can be beaten. But I think that he is in every fight. Every fight I've seen him fight, I've seen him fight live five times. He knocks guys out. So now that he's beaten the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, what does that make him? 
I think it makes him dangerous. He is one of the best fighters in the world right now. That's all there is to it. You can say whatever you want about shoulders, judges. He's got four belts at 23, and he is a bad mother Fareller. Trust me, you. And believe me, you, when I tell you that his punches hurt uh, Lomachenko. Lomachenko's face is not the true story of what happened in that fight because he roughed up both sides of his eyes. But and his face was swollen purple. And but the key for me in the fight was the body shots, Carver. He landed so many body shots. He just aggravated his liver and his ribs. He just cranked him so many times in the body and one low blow even for good measure. But I thought uh, Lopez won the fight on the body more than uh, anything striking the face. I thought he just abused him with the jab and in the body. And um, I did want to talk about uh, Kyler Murray with you. We've been talking earlier about uh, Tua starting. And now I just want to say, I just want to reflect back because you weren't on last night, but I had, you know, uh, Arizona winning the game. And at the time I took the bet, you know, when it opened up, I was laying two and a hook. And then when it was, I think game time, they were getting one. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter to me. They won 38 to 10. Uh, and in my world, they were, it was 38, three bottom line, they gave him a garbage goal. Uh, and then, you know, bottom line, uh, I think this Kyler Murray guy throwing bombs, running all over the field. Like he was like a ghost. You couldn't even find him. Like they didn't, the Cowboys were spun around. They had no clue where that guy was. He had so many moves. He was breaking ankles, spinning heads, making people dizzy. I, I was dizzy watching him running around like his, uh, his game and his moves are phenomenal. And you can say whatever you want. The guy throws a bomb to Christian Kirk. Boom. 80 yards. Uh, Kenyon Drake, a 69 yard run. Hopkins, a 60 nook had the 60 yard play down to like the five. That team has the potential with that quarterback and those receivers to be in any game. It's the defense. You have to get that defense going. And once they started making picks and stealing the ball from Zeke, uh, they were very dangerous uh, last night. I think they're a much better team than anybody thinks they are. I think uh, Kingsbury's got great play calling ability. They got a wide open, crazy offense. I think they're exciting. I think that Kyler Murray is way ahead of the curve in terms of where he is from year one to year two. Is that where he is about year two now? Yeah, This guy's a freak. He's a freak. No, he is a very exciting player. Um, He's got a new weapon now, having Hopkins there. I just need to see still, you know, I need to see it every week to put them in that, in that next level. Because here's the thing for me. I, they whack Dallas. Uh, look, uh, Dallas is, is what they are right now. They're giving up 40 points a game to everybody. Uh, right. They whacked the Jets the week before that. Jets suck. They're the worst team in the league. The Cardinals have lost at home to the Lions. They lost to Carolina. They beat Washington at home. Now, the week one, they beat the Niners on the road. That was before the Niners got hurt and everybody got banged up. I give them all the credit for that one. I'm interested to see this week at home, Seattle coming to their place. I want to see it from Arizona this week. Show me that you're taking that next step and not just beating up these turkeys like uh, the Cowboys and the Jets. I want to see it from Kyler this week against the Seahawks. Fair enough. Um, I think that's a, a dead on. But I, I have to say, like, when it comes to second-year guys, oh, I think, great. you know, because I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl. I'm not no. saying that they're going to the NFC Championship game. I just 
I think he is ahead of the curve. I think that he's showing uh, great smarts when he'll when he's in trouble, just throw the ball away. And I mean, right on the ground, he'll throw it right into the ground or he'll throw it out over the sideline. He'll do whatever it takes to not get caught. When he runs the ball, he slides better than any guy I've seen. All these other guys. Burrow takes way too many shots. Way too many shots. This kid doesn't take shots. He's just like too quick. He's too fast. He gets to the ground really quick and no one hits him. Uh, When he runs, no one hits him because he's too fast for everybody. Uh, I think that's what I noticed. He's like Lamar Jackson in the sense that Jackson's bigger and all this. But the way Jackson runs and breaks ankles, this guy Murray does the same thing. He can run and break ankles as good as anybody. We'll try to hook up with Morenci next on the bench. All right, Morenci's up next with Sports Rage. Uh, I want to bring Gabe in. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers kicked the Rays' ass tonight, but I'd, I I kind of want to get your opinion more on uh, this story about Lomachenko having uh, shoulder problems for six weeks leading up to the fight, multiple injections. Says he had to tell the commission uh, that he was injecting for his uh, injury. And then in the second round of the fight, he got injured, and he said he fought the whole fight with his shoulder going to fall off. And then he had surgery uh, on the shoulder after the fight. And then his uh, corner and his management have said that Julie Letterman fixed the fight with 11-1 to 1, uh, in rounds. Uh, what do you think of Lomachenko getting his ass beat by Lopez and then coming out with this whole story about his shoulder? Is it worse than Pacquiao against Mayweather? Yeah, well, you know what? I'm actually friends, very good friends, uh, too. Not just, you know, people say I'm friends with, but I used to do a show uh, with with uh, with Lomachenko's cut man. So not his father, obviously, you know, his campus, his family, et cetera, but his cut man, uh, Russ Amber. Uh, used to be the trainer of uh, Otis Grant and um, and Howard Grant, etc. World champion trainer. So he did not tell me. I spoke to him, but it's not something you know that he was gonna you know he would bring up to me uh, before the fight. Man, that was that was a dominant performance, Scotty. I watched the fight. Although you can tell something wasn't right. Yet if it's that bad, right, you postpone the fight. So I don't. I don't. I I, I always. I always take it. Uh, I, it always leaves a bad taste in my mouth when fighters say, "I don't, I don't have any excuses." But and you hear that a lot in the UFC <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> I don't have any right. excuses, but a lot was going on in my life, man. All right, that's what you hear often. Yeah. But he didn't seem himself, right? He really didn't. No, he did not. But I, I will say that there's nothing worse than the guy that uh, tells you about all of his problems and injuries <laughs> after the fight. There's nothing worse. And, and you're right. He should have can- and Carver I I said the same says, thing. Scotty, cancel the fight. The don't fight. fight. He's going to retire. Or yeah, the guy he's going to retire. Says after the fight, I'm going to retire. When you don't know that before. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carver I said the same thing. They should have canceled the fight. I'll see you tomorrow on Coast to Coast Four. Have a great show. Great job, Carver I See you, Marenzi. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.